Hi there, everyone. Andile Masubu here from African Tech Roundup. I just needed to jump on the mic real quick to pass on some really great news. The fourth annual Afrobytes Marketplace will be taking place in Paris on Wednesday, the 15th of May, 2019. It's all going down at Station F, the world's biggest startup campus. Now, in case you don't know, Afrobytes Marketplace Paris is Europe's preeminent gathering of Africa-focused business and technology leaders, founders, investors, innovation architects, and, of course, policymakers. Now, African Tech Roundup is really pleased to be an Afrobytes Marketplace Paris partner for the third consecutive year. And we're super excited to be extending our village, this very community, a handy 25% discount on tickets to the event. That's if you use the offer code ATRU. All you have to do is simply head to africantechroundup.com forward slash Afrobytes 2019. That's africantechroundup.com forward slash A-F-R-O-B-Y-T-E-S 2019. Go there now to book your seat so we can see you there. And now, without any further ado, please enjoy the special Quick Tech Chats episode, which is in fact the first part of a conversation I had with the founder of a London-based startup called AfriClick. Now, AfriClick is intent on shaking things up in the African online dating scene. And this conversation was taped at the fringes of Afrobytes 2018-2019 international event series. So you can look forward to hearing more insights from that particular tour. They'll be dropping in the coming weeks, of course, in the lead up to Afrobytes Paris 2019. And that's it for now. Enjoy. So my name is Dayo Akinriade, and I am a British Nigerian or Nigerian British uh, entrepreneur, and I'm the founder of AfriClick. And AfriClick is a new dating and networking app, very specifically to connect people of African and Caribbean heritage through their culture. Welcome to the African Tech Roundup, Dayo. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Like, I have to say, we're going to go segue a little bit. Like, it, it's very, very surreal for me to be here. Get out. As, as somebody of African heritage doing tech in the diaspora mm-hmm. abroad, your podcast for years has been, it's been a lifeline. Wow. Really? Because, because we're so far disconnected and, you know, Africa tech has been rising and rising, but I do see you as one of those that you've been bought in from the beginning, kind of like from before it was cool and everybody was doing it. And it's, it's been a lifeline for us to listen and know what's happening. So absolutely. Wow, that's really kind of you to say. Thank you so much for that affirmation. And it, quite a privilege to have you on our show. Our audience is in for a treat because you have an interesting vantage point being based in the UK, being Nigerian and British, being a, a woman in tech, being a founder, being an, an activist for people of color in tech uh, across the diaspora. So there's certainly, you know, there's certainly a lot I'd like us to talk about. And let's start with how you self-introduced. You said Nigerian, British. Oh, British, Nigerian. So what, what goes into one or the other? Like, is there a nuance there that I might miss as a sort of full-on Zimbabwean? <laughs> yeah, I think being a, call us like a diaspora, Nigerians abroad. Yes, because sometimes depending on which country you are in, it's it's always been between two cultures. So say, for example, if I'm in Nigeria, it's better for me to say, of course, I'm Nigerian. I'm proudly Nigerian. Mm-hmm. If I put British in there, the Nigerians will be like, ah, what's wrong with us? Why do you have to say there's another side or whatnot? Whereas maybe in the UK, 
you could go and say, well, I'm British, I was born here. But at some stage in your journey, oftentimes something will happen and, and they will remind you or they will ask you, oh, but where are you really from? Right, where right. Are you really from? So now at the introduction, I just say both because then it's like everybody's covered. Everyone's everyone happy. be happy. And then yes. I suppose it's, it's curious to me as well because the, the whole African-American thing is a big deal, uh, but also quite loaded for some people who prefer black or black American. Um, so give me a sense of, why that loaded notion isn't your reality as a British African. So say right now in the UK and definitely in America, diversity in tech is, it's a very big thing now. So the government is dedicating funds specifically to accelerators to say, you know, you need to get more people of color. Organizations are going out of their way to say the the talent we're hiring isn't representative of the society that we're serving. But in the UK now, I suppose with blackness, officially a term has been coined called BAME. Are you familiar with the term? No, I'm not. What is it? So BAME, it's all capitalized B A. M-E. So now if you go to any conference, whether it's Google, uh, through my tech um, community, which I'm a part of, YSYS, we just did some work with Tech Inclusion, hosted at Bloomberg, BAME, 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 BAME. BAME stands for Black Asian Minority Ethnic. So the corporates have termed this as just a catch-all. Anything that's not white now, we're under BAME. Wow. And wow. and a lot of us do believe also BAME works because then uh, the mainstream white people don't have to say black because that still sometimes feels feels a little bit loaded. They don't know how to refer to us. So now they can just say BAME. And in essence, the issue with the BAME umbrella is you're saying that for myself as a black female in tech, I would be experiencing the same as perhaps a somebody who's from Hong Kong. Yeah, an Asian male from... From, from India, yes. <laughs> an Asian male yes. from India or Pakistan or whatever. Yes, it's, it's all been swept under BAME. And it's actually hilarious because we're so used to the term and where uh, through your startup, your story, our tech community, where we were a partner at, um, there's a conference called Tech Inclusion. It's done by an American company called Change Catalyst, which is led by two awesome Americans. There's Wayne Sutton and actually uh, Melinda, his uh, founder. And they were Americans, so they came over and we were just bam, 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 bam. And they had to stop us at some point and say, guys, what are you talking about? <laughs> what yeah. is this bam thing? Yeah. And they were like, oh, so can we can we just go out on the street and be like, oh, hey, your BAME and we're like no no it doesn't work doesn't quite work that way it's terminology so look I mean let's use this as a springboard for an impromptu hashtag village diaries London okay Um, let's call it that right because I'm fascinated by the quote-unquote black experience uh, of being in tech as a founder as a professional first because let's let's get that right I mean you're a comp sci you know, master's, mm-hmm. you, undergrad, you know, yeah. and oh, undergrad, what was your master's? Oh, yeah. So my undergrad was in computer science. Then my master's was in technology entrepreneurship. Gotcha. So, I mean, you're a black female, Nigerian, British, on the streets of London. Come now. So what's the temperature? <laughs> Gosh, I mean, it's. I think it, it's somewhat unfortunate in that, and and of course I'll speak about my experience. This may be the you know other other experiences may vary, but uh, I suppose growing up over here, your parents will constantly tell you you have to be at least maybe four or five times better than your white counterparts 
in order to be considered the same yeah. or equal. Yeah. And it's something that's embedded into us. So as Nigerians abroad, even when we are younger and making our educational choices, there's a steer towards uh, go for something, you know, we're told to go for something that has a qualification, something that's a bit hard. That way it's less it's harder to encounter prejudice, I guess, when you apply. So for an example, if I'm an accountant, like it or not, I've, I've qualified. You have to find a very good reason yeah. to, to not hire I'm me. I'm a CA, I'm a CA. Say, <laughs> exactly. Whereas if I say I'm a creative writer, it could be, oh, we just don't like your writing or you know, your style. It's not the right time. So I mean, for myself personally, I mean, I always liked at school kind of physics and math and logical things. And I specifically chose the University of Manchester because that's actually where the world's first stored program computer was created. So, you know, imagine back in the days of mainframe where the computer is in like a whole enormous room and they had punch cards, but it was the first time that a computer could actually kind of store something and process it. So Manchester's kind of really good for like computer science. So that was where I chose there. Uh, Did that for three years throughout that time. You know, you kind of begin to realize the bits that I realized, okay, I really like data I like, although analytics wasn't actually a term at the time, right? But, you know, it was, it was just called data. I was like, okay, fine. I like data. I like Java. On my degree, we were about 200 people and 11 women, two black females and one black male. Wow. So already starting as super diverse basically (laughs) (laughs) already exactly starting as three three out of 200 which was fairly reflective yeah from then while i was working i did a placement at accenture yes doing it management consulting so i had an offer for a job when i graduated which and i would say to anyone out there listening if you are at the study stage because we like to throw in bits of advice yeah get the work experience while you are studying because that sets you up like when you graduate so i then graduated and went straight to accenture which actually gave me an amazing foundation in that intersection of technology and business and actually, I found it a lot easier than my degree. So whereas computer science, it's, it's a very pure discipline, right? So things like discrete maths, architecture, binary. I didn't realize how much so much maths was in, yeah. that, <laughs> in, yeah. in that degree. So were whereas, your parents so, right? Were, you there, were they right about, you know, that um, old school wisdom about, listen, choose something super technical that you can sort of lead the pack at and, and be undeniable at so that no one can keep you out because you de- deserve definitely. it? Definitely. Definitely, absolutely. It's, it's a sad way to it's a sad way to have to live, though. It's a sad way to to have to live, and of course, when we're advising younger people, sometimes it's it's tricky to get that balance between follow your passion and what you're naturally good at versus what skills does the market yeah. actually um, need. But for me personally, having technical skills, it's been invaluable, and and I see it every every time in the tech e- ecosystem. You introduce yourself to someone and then eventually it becomes the what do you do? And you say, well, I've done this and I study that. And you can see the surprise. The eyes are popping out of their head every time, which really we would hope it would have kind of moved beyond that. But absolutely, I mean, it's meant that it's always been very easy for me to get jobs, to negotiate contracts. And so, yeah, no, but luckily I enjoy it as well. Yeah. I I, I really love logic. I, I love technology because... I feel as people were always wrong. Like if you're trying to work something out, your code isn't working, oftentimes we'll try and blame each other. But yeah. like the computer's never wrong. It's yeah. never wrong. Yeah. We've just fed it the wrong thing. So there's something to be said for meritocracy as well, where I suppose 
because we are all so keenly trying to move the needle for inclusion and diversity, it's easy to swing into the other extreme where it's like, I'm black, therefore I should be entitled to X, Y, Z. What's your filter for sort of balancing that for yourself? I mean, there's And when no- you say to explain I'm black, therefore I should be entitled to? I suppose on some level, I subscribe to the idea that our relationships in business and in life should be value-based. And where there's value, it should be fairly created and fairly exchanged. Now, that's obviously not the case when you think of our history as a a people. You know, we've obviously been shortchanged throughout history, systematically so, and continuously so. And so there's obviously a moral imperative that that be corrected. At the same time, I encounter young people who don't seem to see merit in putting in the hours, doing the hard work, doing the things they don't like, along with the things that they're passionate about. So I feel like you have to balance okay, all of yes. it. Do, do you get we what I'm saying? So how do you? So we how do you? That too. How do you? How do you deal with that tension? And how do you, for yourself, have a? You know, what's your filter for sort of dealing with those issues? I mean, for myself personally, being raised by two Nigerian parents, and quite frankly, even though I was raised in the UK, it might as well have been Nigeria because yeah. once you stepped into my house, you were in Nigeria. Yeah. If that yeah, makes yeah. sense, it was the embassy. Whatever. It was the embassy. <laughs> Whatever children's rights you felt you had in the UK or you can't smack your children, you can't, that all disappeared. (laughs) Like exactly, once you're back home. So for me personally, I fully accept to progress. I have to do the things I like alongside the things that I don't like. I used to come home nine, 10 years old. I would do the homework that my school had set. Then my mother would set me extra work to do on top of it, kind of as standard. Something I do now see with younger diaspora millennials coming through. So maybe like in their sort of twenties, 19. And sometimes I get, for example, I get interns, right? Sometimes to come and work on AfriClick. And I find very interesting that a very classic thing I would hear from an intern is, I really want to come and do AfriClick social media. You know, it's about kind of dating and, you know, fun stuff. I think I really like social media. Then you just begin to walk them through. Okay, here's our brand kit. Here's how much we post. Here's how you do a schedule. And then they'll be like, oh, but I don't really like Twitter. I I just really like to do Instagram. Wow. And they will say it with a straight face. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Whoa. They will say it with a straight face. And you're like, well, in business, we have to do the things we do like and we don't like. I say, if you want to brand yourself as a marketer, then you need to get to know all Oh, doing the schedules isn't so fun. Can't I just post as and when I I feel like it? So I do see that. And personally, I think that's symptomatic of parents that have emigrated from Africa clearly sacrificed a lot because a lot of our parents that did kind of emigrate to, you know, come to whether it's the UK, Germany, France, they sacrificed a lot. A lot of them sometimes even sacrifice their dignity. So maybe if back home in Nigeria, you were an engineer or you were a teacher, then once you come to the UK and you show them your qualifications, they're like, sorry, this doesn't count here. Here's the job you can do. And then maybe they were maybe taking jobs that previously in Nigeria, they would hire somebody to clean. But now they're they're actually coming to clean themselves. So I think the dynamic I see there is that those parents are now very focused on their children not having to endure the same struggles that they had. But sometimes I think maybe they have overprotected and cushioned them, which then becomes this. I see a little bit more laser fair. Like I like to do this. I like to do that. Or say, for example, with an individual, sometimes I'll look at somebody's Twitter bio. If I see too many forward slashes, 
in your Twitter bio or mm. your Instagram bio. I'm 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 out. I'm, if I see model slash presenter slash writer slash this slash actor, right? At, <laughs> and at, of course, at at seventeen, at seventeen. There, there, there you go. And of course, again, everyone has their personal philosophy, but I do feel jack of all trades, master of none, particularly as an ethnic minority, where there are layers of, of bias, like it or not. And I think, you know, you've been talking a lot about balances between the two. I think for us diasporans, we have to strike a very delicate balance between understanding that bias is out there and navigating it but not having a losing or victim mentality, mentality yeah. that, that I'm not going to get it. And I find that can be a very tricky bias because you don't want to, in every single situation, say, I didn't get it yeah. because, yeah. because oh, oh, because I'm black, because I'm black. But then sometimes, and there have been times in my career where I have had to literally sit back and say, I would not have been asked in that meeting, for example, Dio, you speak so well, your English is so good. Why is it like that? Or asking me, oh, where were you educated? And I'm like, if, if I was white, you, you wouldn't be asking me that. Yeah. But it, it took me even a number of years to, to kind of get to that point where I would be able to kind of separate in my head and know that I wasn't doing a victim role and I wasn't using it as an excuse to limit myself. And I think it's something we see particularly, I mean, here, you know, we're talking about founders, investors, yeah. raising capital is difficult. Something I do, I could tell you a bit about uh, your startup, your story. That's actually, you, you know, you know, before we go to that, in the context of everything you said, I'm very curious about how you convene a community, how you empower it, how you okay. lead it, how you, you know what I'm saying? So in the context of everything you've said, I'm fascinated about that. And we'll talk about that in a minute. You know, it just occurred to me as you were speaking as well, that I struggle with uh, what I call an unhealthy justice complex sometimes where it's like, I feel like there are unconstructive ways to be angry and channel your anger. It sounds like you've somewhat come right on that in, in a way. How do you do that? Because you're still a woman, you're still black. For every time I'm underestimated or left out of an opportunity or not thought about in the right context or undermined, I imagine, you know, three or four times more, it's happening to someone like you. What's your process for not letting that affect the work and the output? I think having a support system in place is essential. And in the last few years, thank the Lord for WhatsApp. Because <laughs> Game changer. <laughs> we, I, I have this probably about, there's my family group. There's... Uh, another group that uh, we actually entitled the group a letter to Sadiq and Sadiq Khan is the mayor of London because we actually uh, brought a campaign we actually ran a Twitter campaign around the lack of representation of BAME women in certain things so I, there's about three or four groups and I think it's having that support system of people who are going through what you are going through because I realized very quickly in all of my time in a sort of very corporate environments in the city of London, where sometimes where things would be said, and I would turn to a colleague, a white colleague after it was said, and, and I would be, I would just express my, my horror, like, is that really uh, what, what he said? And their immediate reaction was always denial oh, no, that, that, that isn't what he meant. Oh, you must have mis been mistaking it the wrong way. Oh, there's there's always like, they have the, the see no evil, hear no evil. Yeah. Meanwhile, in my office, the white woman would be crying. We would have white woman tears like every three weeks. 
you know? And so for them, they'll come and say, crying, crying. Oh, what's wrong? Oh, my flat leaked. The flat above me leaked and there's water dripping down and I'm too scared to ask for time off to fix it. Oh, that's so bad. Go home. Oh, my cat is sick. My dog is sick. Sorry. And I know I'm probably yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to hate you. They're going to hate you. <laughs> no white people are going to work for you. <laughs> but it, it literally felt like, the, as I said, about about every three weeks, you know, they would yeah. come with their tears. But for me, when microaggressions were clearly voiced yeah, everyone would say oh no 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 you must have so I kind of kind of learned very quickly that I'm not going to get that support within the workplace and and maybe even for example and I'll speak very generally because we kind of don't want to be specific and actually he was South African it was a South African client and you know we met at a, at a function a, a social function that was business related and I was there representing my then company. And actually, they were buying a service from us. So I actually should have even been in a slight position of power because, you know, you have yeah. to be nice to me. Even though there were more senior relationships at the partner level that yeah. put the companies together. And within the first five minutes of being introduced to me, um, and I remember we were introduced by another vendor who introduced me. He said, this is Dyer. And he said, oh, would you believe it that Dyer went to the same school as my mother and my wife? So this was this client trying to do the nice introduction yeah. where you actually say, oh, you guys, you know, we all have this thing in common. Yes. So clearly this guy's head was spinning, thinking, how could she have gone to this school that, you know, his his wife and, his, you know, his mother, you know, had gone through or whatever. So, you know, he asked me and he was like, oh, this. And he goes, oh, so, you know, then he said to me, he said, oh, Dio, you must have done extremely well for yourself to be working for a company like XYZ. He then asked me where I lived in London. I told him and he said, are you sure? Are you sure you live there? I said, yes. And he goes, oh, well, I grew up around the road from there. I said, oh, how nice. He then said to me, well, you must know where to buy drugs around there if you live there. Literally the words, you know, he said. And I was just looking at him in a such confused way. And he kind of nudged me like, yes, you know, of course you must know. Of course you must know. And I was just genuinely standing there looking at him with a blank face. He then told me the name of this particular road. And he goes, ah, of course, you know, that's the road. That's the road. And so I'm sitting here like just dishing out these, these hits. Turned to my white colleague from the office. He was bright red standing there, like didn't really know what to do or to say. Anyway, transpire. A few months later, I, I recall we went to the offices and we had a brainstorming session. Then this particular CEO then fed back to my employer that I was rude and I talked over him in a brainstorming session. Whoa. Then the whole conversation became about how can we fix him so he's okay? Because Dio talked over him in a brainstorming session. Now, the original encounter with when I'd met him and all of these very biased questions he had asked me, I actually didn't say anything to my employer at the time. Whoa. Because, again, we internalize those things. And, you know, as you said, you, you almost kind of like choose your battles. Yeah. So I then now said to my employer, oh, by the way, when I first met him, these are all the things he had to say to me. Can we please take the full picture into account? Wow. But the narrative was still around how can we make him feel better? Wow. <laughs> that's just one example of that. So that's a, that's a fascinating deep dive into the life of a young black female professional. Crazy. Thanks for sharing that. I think that just puts into context the reason why an organization like your startup, your story has to exist. I mean, literally, you're here to share about your startup and you, you know, you're diving into your stories. And this is clearly not something mainstream society 
I suppose we just don't realize that there's a almost like a, a separate universe like black folk have to exist in, even in a place like Zimbabwe or South Africa or never mind the UK and the US and other places, you know, in the in the global north or the West. So what's the thinking around formalizing a support system, a community that people can plug into? And then again, you have to apply the balance we've discussed, you know, not letting people sort of moan and basically spend their time feeling sorry for themselves. Um, at the same time, you have to provide them the emotional support they wouldn't get anywhere else. But you also sort of had to post scores on the board and ensure that people are working towards business success. And then all of that within the context of this is for us, by us, which again, depending who you are, can feel you know sort of exclusive and populist. I've given you the springboard your startup, your story. Yeah, let me tell you a bit about um, our founder, as it were. Her name is uh, Deborah Akenla. Um, she's actually uh, here today as well at the conference. So for for Deborah, and I'll sort of speak from her founding it, she's somebody that she started off in law, but was always very curious about tech, but didn't really know how to get into it. So she just started going to events. And as she would, I suppose, go to these events and generally probably be maybe one of two uh, uh, black people there or even kind of diverse people. So she would connect with the people she felt comfortable with. And she started a WhatsApp group at the time. Um, I think initially it was actually called something like Startup Stories Worldwide that it involved. So she, I think Deborah and I, we met uh, Google Campus in London. They have uh, something called POC Tech, People of Color Tech. And that's a meetup that happens every week and a breakfast. So I happened to meet her there. So we were all in this WhatsApp group. And within that group, we we call what we did at the time, It's we call it democratization of information. Right. Meaning that we feel with uh, maybe certain marginalized or underrepresented groups in technology, there's information that you can't necessarily find it on Medium in a blog or on the Y Combinator website, like these these nuances in terms of, I mean, maybe for example, somebody was raising and they said, okay, well, you need to have a deal room, make sure these things are in your deal room. This is the this is the first stage of your deal room for the for the investors that are not are semi-interested, but don't give them everything because some investors will just have meetings with founders to gather the data, to compare with their portfolio. All of these things that you realize that if you're kind of in the know, you know. So where we call it democratization of information, it's where we can share this thing. And then so the WhatsApp group, you know, we had founders, we had people working in tech, investors. And so eventually the group grew to let's say about maybe 70 80 and then at that point you're having people from different time zones it's hard to keep up with the thread and then Deborah realized look there's something here that we need to formalize so she orchestrated this massive change and transition onto slack and that was really where it sort of formalized this ysys we had a members directory we have different channels so there's a channel for jobs there's a channel for events there's a channel for like maybe deep tech where the developers interact. And I know it probably sounds a bit airy-fairy, but this concept of the the sharing information, the mentoring, it just evolved. It, we have a very pay-it-forward notion of our community. Mm-hmm. So somebody can drop into the community and say, uh, I need help with a logo. Does, does anyone know? how or or where I could do this and two or three people will respond pretty much you know straight away or when they next come online and they'll help and they'll often do it for free 
from a skill swap perspective, because they now know that the next time they need something, you know, this person is going to be here. Where we have community members that work at organizations such as uh, Us2, which is like a very cool sort of product digital lab, or we have people from Entrepreneur First, which is like a very kind of elite accelerator. The people in those organizations will let us know in the community, does anyone need event space that they're doing something for wow. their startup or their product? Guys, it's here. It's available on two, you know, on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, you know, let me know you'll pick him in. And so again, when we talk about kind of sharing this network and privilege, you realize that, well, for some people, it's really easy for them to access these things, but that's kind of like what we're sharing. And so Eventually, it came to the point where tech organizations in the London ecosystem, such as, say, Mosaic Ventures that are a venture capital firm, there's Hatch Enterprise, who they're a tech accelerator, but they're actually in um, South London, so specifically in a borough that maybe the socioeconomic index is a bit low. So they're very big on helping um, female entrepreneurs, I think minority entrepreneurs. Organizations started to approach us. Maybe, for example, they would say, we have a female accelerator starting in a few months, and the government has incentivized us to reserve spaces on that program for women of color, but we don't have any applying. Do you know of any, or can you help us find some? And so we started just to do these little bits. And then eventually, with my background in management consulting, which is all about making something into a service and selling it, yeah. you know, Deborah and I kind of got together and I said, Deborah, this stuff is actually paid work. So if an organization wants to hire someone and they go to a recruiter, you know, they're going to charge a fee, maybe one month of the, you know, the first salary. It shouldn't be that different from hiring from an accelerator. So that's how we also now shifted into almost a consultancy mode where now, so we still have the community. And actually I think the beauty of the consultancy is that we can tell organizations you're we're almost allowing you to crowdsource the feeling of, I think right now we're at about 180 mm-hmm. individuals. Yeah. So, um, so say for example, now we're, we're working on this program. It's our biggest program to date called one tech and it's backed by a uh, JP Morgan philanthropy and Capital Enterprise. And Capital Enterprise, uh, they're a bit like Tech Nation. They're just like a big London ecosystem uh, body. And so one of the projects, which actually I'm leading on particularly this part, so I'm working with 12 of London's top tech accelerators, so including Techstars, including uh, Startup Bootcamp, uh, who I believe have just done their FinTech Accelerator in uh, Cape Town, right? Yeah, they do. And and I'm, in essence, working with them to review their whole organization and their processes and give them a set of actions and initiatives to say, here's how you can shift the needle on your level of diversity. So in the consulting work that we're doing and I'm leading on to work with it's going to be 12 of London's top accelerators. I will say like a classic example with an accelerator, they'll be able to tell you straight away that maybe we do two cohorts a year. Each cohort has about 24 of, of course, London's best founders. And you ask them what percentage are female, they'll tell you straight away, 21%. We say, what percentage of them are ethnic minority? Oh, we don't know. We don't track that. Right. That's that's pretty much the situation across the board. <laughs> so nobody knows the, the size of, of the problem. Yeah. Because the, the rhetoric of diversity in tech in London, it really means white women diversity. 
if that makes sense. Like those are yes. the metrics and the KPIs that, that are being used. So being able to work with accelerators to help them to understand, for example, okay, you have a mentor pool of 40 mentors and only one of them is black. And you're telling them you need to increase the diversity within your mentor pool so that, for example, which we've actually seen happen, if somebody applies with a startup concept that either touches Africa or touches black people, who in your mental pool is actually going to understand? Yeah. You know, so we've actually had conversations where maybe we've helped accelerators recruit. Somebody's doing something for black hair and beauty. Yeah. And they don't understand how big the market is. Yeah. I saw a case where there was a founder with an app that was going to help with tithings in yeah. church. Yeah. And they were like, oh, we don't think the opportunity is big enough. <laughs> I'm like, do you know how much money gets washed through the churches yeah, yeah. At, at least once a week? So we're kind of now like sort of helping them to see and to understand that, well, look, either you diversify your network or make sure that you have a network. So if a startup lands on your application, you can call someone and be like, hey, you know, T- tell me about this, you know, th- this black hair thing. And, you know. So you're, you're basically codifying things that have come. Uh, oh, we have, to, we have to wrap up. So you have to go and uh, pitch your business at this conference. There is no doubt in my mind that we haven't started to scratch the surface on. No, you know. <laughs>